Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. Extra SNAP benefits, also sometimes still referred to as food stamps, have been in place since the start of the pandemic three years ago, but they ended in February. So recipients are going back to the monthly amount they received before that. In a moment, I'll talk with someone from the Ohio Association of Food Banks about the impact that change will have. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend has information about the train derailment in East Palestine. The effort to put a constitutional amendment on the statewide ballot in November ensuring access to abortion in Ohio and a discussion of the SAFE Act proposal in Ohio. SAFE stands for Saving Adolescents from Experimentation, which would ban gender-affirming care such as surgery, hormone medication, or puberty blockers for minors. And in about 45 minutes, Matt Andrews will talk to longtime 10TV sports anchor Dom Tiberi about how college football has changed and his awareness and training program called Maria's Message, named for his daughter who was killed in a distracted driving accident. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me is Jory Novotny, who is the Chief of Staff for the Ohio Association of Food Banks. How are you? I'm well. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us about the Ohio Association of Food Banks. Yeah, the Ohio Association of Food Banks, we've been around since 1991. We represent Ohio's 12 Feeding America food banks that partner with 3,600 local hunger relief agencies. Those are your local food pantries, your soup kitchens and homeless shelters, and then other supplemental and place-based feeding programs. We all work together to respond in emergencies, personal crises, as well as things like the pandemic we've all been living through for a few years to make sure that folks have food on the table. Um, and, you know, we're really, really committed to doing whatever we can to make sure that folks can have food on the table so they can focus on all the other things in their lives that we want them to be able to focus on. And you and people in your field are trying to get the word out to people that there's a huge change that has just happened for people who receive benefits. Absolutely. So if you don't mind, Dave, I'll I'll rewind a little bit to back at the beginning of the pandemic, right? It was, as we all know, the cliche word of unprecedented, but if we can put our minds back to where we were in March 2020, all of the unknowns and of what was to come. And at that time, we were thrilled and relieved that Congress, under the Trump administration, collectively took up a package that included the approval for what are called SNAP emergency allotments. So if folks aren't familiar with the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, also sometimes called food assistance or food stamps, um, those benefits normally are set at an amount that varies widely depending on a household's net income based on just standard deductions that are taken off of their gross income. So households, first of all, have to be have to have really low wages and low incomes to qualify for SNAP as it is. Um, at our throughout our statewide emergency hunger relief network, only about half of the people that we were serving before COVID were SNAP eligible. The other half of folks that we're serving, the other million or so for folks that we're serving throughout our network have income slightly too high to even qualify for SNAP in the first place. Um, so for those that have incomes that are low enough, then there's a calculation done to calculate, okay, well, what do you need to fill the gap in what you can't afford on your own to buy a basic you know, set of groceries? And so the SNAP emergency allotments brought everyone participating on SNAP, which it was a little over 1.5 million Ohioans throughout most of the pandemic, up to the full benefit amount for their household size. 
What's important to know about that is that every single household got at least $95 more per month. Most on average got about $86 per person per month in additional benefits. And then for many, one in six of our seniors, for example, receive only a minimum benefit normally. So the, right now the minimum benefit is $23 for, per month for those senior households. During COVID, when they were brought up to the maximum benefit for their household size because of the SNAP emergency allotment, they were receiving $250 plus per month. So it, it's going to vary widely the shock that this is going to have on a lot of household budgets. But those SNAP emergency allotments have been in place for almost three full years. We don't even want to think about what this situation would have been like without the SNAP emergency allotments. We are so grateful that we had them as long as we did. And we're also very concerned about how people are going to be able to possibly cope with adjusting their household budgets that drastically overnight. SNAP emergency allotments, the last payment of those allotments went out just a couple of days ago in Ohio at the end of February. And that was the final um, time that those benefits would be issued. In March, households will go back to their standard benefit amount, which for many will be very insufficient to meet their nutritional needs. So we're talking about these folks, too, who will not know ahead of time. They'll simply get the, the credit in the, on their card, and it won't be as much as they're used to. That's right. For any consumers who feel uncertain about what's coming, we understand we're definitely working and appreciate all of our partners, like your stations, and helping us to spread awareness about this as well. Um, uh, some notifications did go out um, in the mail, by text, if folks have provided their phone numbers to let them know that their benefits will be reduced starting in March. But certainly, I think a lot of folks are going to find out the first time they go to buy their groceries at the end of the month. And we don't want anyone to have to live through the pain and, and stigma of walking away from a part of groceries at their grocery store. So we're working hard. The state agency is working hard. All the partners are working as best as we can to, to educate folks about what's coming. Um, and I also, you know, on the flip side of that, want to just reassure, and I'll restate this a couple of times, you hear us talking about how it's going to be really difficult for our network at the food banks to keep up with the demand that we're likely to see in the fallout of the end of these benefits. I just also want to emphasize that we don't want anyone to feel deterred in seeking the help that they need. We don't want anyone to feel that they should go without for the sake of someone else. Please come and get the help that you need. We want to make sure that we can be there for every Ohioan that needs us. I'm talking with Jory Novotny. She's the chief of staff for the Ohio Association of Food Banks. An average of $86 per person. You know, that would be significant for for middle-income Ohioans, uh, even uh, even higher than that. If somebody were to take away $86 a month that you spend at a grocery store, that will dramatically change the way you shop. Absolutely. If you think about this in terms of your grocery budget, we're talking about anywhere from about 20 to 60 or more percent of what someone had last month to use in SNAP benefits to go to the grocery store and shop will be gone overnight starting in March. Um, it's just an incredible amount to absorb. And folks didn't have a lot of notice that this was coming. Congress decided that the end of the SNAP emergency allotments would begin in March. And that was decreed at the very end of 2022 in the Consolidated Appropriations Act that was passed at the end of the year. And, you know, I just want to say we recognize that these benefits were never intended to be permanent. Um, I, 
I want to acknowledge that the Biden administration and the United States Department of Agriculture, Food and Nutrition Service took up really critical work that was long overdue that that Congress had um, uh, required them to undertake to reevaluate what's called the Thrifty Food Plan. And that reevaluation took into account basically 40 years of what had been a standard benefit that's based on your grocery basket. The minimal amount of nutrients that someone needs to have three basic meals a day throughout the month, um, that hadn't been updated, that calculation hadn't been updated for 40 years. So they work with a lot of nutritionists to make some adjustments to what that basket looks like. What does it really cost to go into your grocery store now to you know, put the product in the cart that the the average family needs to meet their basic nutritional needs. And so that adjustment has at least mitigated a little bit of the hardship because the base benefit amounts that folks will hold on to are higher than they would have otherwise been because of that. But uh, with that said, you know, this is just a really drastic cliff that folks are going to fall off from. And we're worried because, Dave, we saw the largest need on record that we've ever experienced in 25 years of of collecting data from October to December of last year before this announcement was ever made, before anyone knew that SNAP emergency allotments would be going away. That historical record, we provided take-home groceries through our food pantries to Ohioans more than 3.1 million times in three months. And that broke the record from the quarter before, which July through September had been held the record for three months of the highest record on demand. We know that people are under such strain and such pressure and have been for months keeping up with high prices, high costs, and, um, you know, we're already seeing enormous need, and this is just going to put an additional strain on that system. It seems like every aspect of the food industry, from restaurants to grocery stores to, to what you folks do, has had to deal with one dilemma after another since the pandemic started with, you know, the supply chain and workers and volunteers. And then now you've got inflation. Uh, It's just been one thing after another. Yeah. And I think people don't really understand, maybe if they're not in this day to day, that SNAP is really a a true, um, it really boosts local economies and it does so very quickly. It's a really important stimulus for local economies in times of recession or constriction. And so we're talking about, just to state this again, about $126 million per month in fully federally funded benefits that have been coming in for almost three years to Ohio economies will be gone overnight. And economists estimate every dollar that locally generates from $1.50 to $1.67 in economic activity. So even if we're estimating on the conservative side, that means that the end of these SNAP emergency allotments will mean the loss of $190 million a month in all federally funded economic activity. So what does that mean? It means we're really concerned about our local grocers, our local food supply chains, our local farmers that are working really hard to supply them. How does that filter down into that greater system that's already been under such duress, as you noted, for so long? And especially in areas that have been working so hard to hold on to those grocery stores and areas that are, you know, more sparsely populated. Um, this is their margin, you know, and we're real concerned about the food supply chain staying solvent in some of those places that we won't see more food deserts, more closures because of, of this difference in budget and difference in that economic t- activity and that job creation. 
Talking with Jory Novotny, she's the chief of staff for the Ohio Association of Food Banks. I know that over the last couple of years, your uh, organization's been pretty happy with how the state legislature has responded to your needs. What's happening next time around with the proposed two-year budget for you folks? Yeah, thanks for asking, Dave. I think that we've been fortunate not only with the SNAP emergency allotments that have been provided through Congress's approval, but also through several federal relief packages that have helped states, including Ohio, um, be able to continue to respond throughout this crisis. Um, We're definitely happy and grateful for the emergency support that Governor DeWine, Lieutenant Governor Houston, and members of the 134th Ohio General Assembly have provided, and we're definitely in conversation with members of our new 135th General Assembly about what we're going to need long-term as we prepare for the fallout. Understand people won't suddenly adjust over a couple of months and be able to make up for this gap on their own, right? Especially as we're all nervously hand-wringing about when, when, not if, but likely when the next recession will hit. So, you know, we're talking about what we're going to need long-term. We've been very grateful for the the emergency support that we've gotten thus far. It's It's been very necessary, and we're grateful that Ohio's always, you know, provided bipartisan, strong bipartisan support for um, anti-hunger programs because, you know, we work really efficiently and effectively with Ohio's number one industry, and that's agriculture. So we're there to make sure we're reducing food waste, we're supporting our local farmers and growers. We've been working with our commodity producers more and more, bringing in that healthy, wholesome protein to put a full plate on the table for families. And, yeah, we're hopeful. I will say that, you know, Ohio's in a really good place. Um, we're not in times, um, you know, like in other periods of, of economic restriction or recession where we're in a deficit spending mode. We have plenty of revenue that's come in. Ohio has an extraordinarily high amount of money in its rainy day fund. We have um, a TANF block grant surplus. There are many resources available, and we believe that this is the time to spend those resources so that we can have a fully equitable recovery and we don't have a lot of low-wage workers, a lot of older adults and families with children falling off this cliff and experiencing really harmful uh, consequences. Just a couple of minutes to go with Jory Novotny, Chief of Staff for the Ohio Association of Food Banks. If uh, people listening either are uh, receiving SNAP benefits or if they know someone who is, what kind of advice do you have for them as they prepare for this change in the coming month? I think that first I would encourage you to consider doing a benefit checkup. We, for example, through the Ohio Food Bank Association, have um, we partner with many of our regional food banks on SNAP outreach and we have specialists who can talk with you over the phone about uh, whether or not your base benefit amount that you've been approved for is actually representative of what you should be eligible for, what you're, what amount you're eligible for. So, for example, let's say you're someone that has out of, you know, significant out-of-pocket medical expenses. There's an excess medical expense deduction that you may not have ever known about because you enrolled in SNAP in 2021 when everyone was getting the maximum benefit allotment and so a little less attention was paid to claiming all of those deductions. We especially want older Ohioans, disabled Ohioans to make sure that they're doing a benefits checkup so that they're getting the full benefit that they're entitled to. Aside from that, I would encourage folks to um, also pay attention to the fact that there are criminal enterprises that are trying to uh, unfortunately, prey on the kind of 
antiquated technology that our electronic benefits transfer cards that your benefits are issued on. Um, this hasn't popped up so much in Ohio, but it is a growing problem. Um, you know, we're working and hopeful that in the federal farm bill that will be passed this year, that there can be a long-term solution for improving the security on those cards. But right now, they're basically like debit cards, and folks are using skimming devices and other, um, you know, pin-stealing mechanisms to steal benefits. So to avoid that, make sure you're resetting your pins regularly so you're not losing those benefits that are yours. And again, if you do have benefits stolen, to make sure you're reporting that to your county job and family services office. But more importantly, um, you know, if your SNAP benefit amount does go down, um, well, it's going to happen to everyone. Everyone's going to lose some SNAP benefits. Um, we encourage you to take advantage of other opportunities. Um, pregnant and postpartum women, their infants and children should make sure that if they're not enrolled, that they're connected to WIC, the Women, Infants and Children Program, which has expanded fruit and, fruits and vegetable benefits in addition to the infant formula um, and breastfeeding support offerings that they provide. So I think that's a really underutilized program that might be helpful for some folks. Um, at our food banks, we have what's called a commodity supplemental food program specifically for older adults. And we do have some slots in some places available to serve more older adults. So contact your local food bank so they can get you to connect connected to some other resources. You can visit ohiofoodbanks.org and click get help to find the food bank near you. Okay, ohiofoodbanks.org. And uh, I guess also people can also give at that website, right? That's right. And you can also advocate if you want to join us in raising these concerns with our elected officials. We know that public policy has the solutions available and we just, and you know, everyone's voice matters. A couple of things we're hoping for is additional funds to help food banks fill the gaps in the upcoming state biennial budget. And we're also talking with our elected officials about the worthwhile investment they could make to bring all older adults in Ohio up to a minimum benefit of $50. So like I talked about, there's about 70,000 um, Ohioans over 60 that uh, receive less than $50 a month in their base benefit amount. It would only cost us about $21 million a year to bring all of those older adults up to $50 a month, which is a much more meaningful benefit. So those are some of the conversations we're having with our lawmakers, and we'd encourage you to join us in those efforts. We, we have to understand that these are benefits that people use just like any other dollar that you're using to go buy your groceries. We all depend on everyone in our community to have the dollars they need to buy the, the, the groceries their family needs for our grocery stores to exist. So this is not something isolated to only 1.5 million Ohioans. This impacts every one of us who shop at our grocery stores, who count on an affordable array of wholesome foods being available. Um, you know, we're in this uh, all of us are in this, and all of us are going to be impacted by the the local, individual, local, and, and broader economic impact this is going to have. Jory Novotny, she's the chief of staff for the Ohio Association of Food Banks. Again, it's ohiofoodbanks.org. Thanks so much for your time and the information today. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Dave. Cancer screening can save your life. Begin cervical screening at age 25. At 45, colorectal and breast screening. At 50, discuss lung screening with a doctor. Find resources for free and low-cost screening at cancer.org slash get screened. This is a public service message from the American Cancer Society.
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Good morning, and thank you so much for joining us here on Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. We start this morning with continued coverage of the fallout from that train derailment in East Palestine where toxic chemicals leaked into the waterways and the air. There was no loss of life, but the way of life, the sense of comfort that comes with living in a community like East Palestine has been shattered. We're going to hold the railroad responsible. No matter how much data we collect or provide, it will not be enough to completely reassure everybody. You, you don't know how, the, how this is going to affect you. What we've got so far, we've had some good answers, but then again, there's more questions to be asked. However long it takes, we're going to work to earn your trust. Norfolk Southern injected unnecessary risk into this crisis. We will not leave them. We will stay here. We will continue to test. We will continue to do what needs to be done. There are a lot of elements to cover for you this morning, including a visit to Ohio from U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, the demands from the EPA to Norfolk Southern, and what's happening at the State House to prevent a crash like this from happening again. We start, though, with the update on the investigation from the National Transportation Safety Board. According to the preliminary crash report, that train was going 47 miles an hour when it crashed. The speed limit is 50. The train did pass three detectors made to alert the conductor if the bearings were too hot. The last reading came back at 253 degrees. And to put that into perspective for you, greater than 200 is considered critical. The NTSB says this was 100% preventable, and there's no evidence the crew was at fault. They're going to conduct an investigative field hearing in the spring. This is a rare step to take after a crash. There are four goals for that hearing. Number one, inform the public. Number two, collect factual information from witnesses. Number three, discuss possible solutions. And number four, build consensus for change. That update came the same day Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg toured the crash site. TNTV's Bennett Haverly asked him how he plans to hold Norfolk Southern accountable. The trains have been back on the tracks for several days in East Palestine, Ohio. The people who live here say their lives are still derailed. Barb Thompson is working to help her 80-year-old mother move. So we've been packing real hard, trying to get it all decorated cute. Yeah. Now it's time to go. Now it's time to go. Her mother's home sits just 400 yards from the site where 38 cars on a Norfolk Southern train derailed. It sparked a fire, an evacuation, and later a controlled release of hazardous chemicals, which had prompted looming concerns about the environment and health of those who live here. Oh, it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. I, I've never seen anything like this at all, ever. So it was pretty scary. 80-year-old Darlene Murphy was there when it happened. Now she says she's experienced things like headaches and sore throat. They said it was safe. 
Do you believe that? No, I don't. That's I don't because I got a sore throat. I got watery eyes. I just I don't believe anything they're telling us. Well, they're right to be concerned. Look, some of these uh, issues, health issues, environmental issues, they can last for years. They can last for decades. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg took questions from reporters while promising to make and encourage additional regulations on trains carrying hazardous materials. So what, what assurances can you give the people of East Palestine that you're going to hold Norfolk Southern's feet to the fire and that when all the news, news cameras are gone, while the politicians have left, that they will actually be safe and that they'll have their town back the way it was? That's exactly why we're here. That's why we've been here from the first hours of the incident as an administration. And it's why our interest both in what happened here in East Palestine and in keeping our railroads safe doesn't go away when some other uh, hot news story uh, comes into the headlines. We're going to be here day in, day out, year in, year out, making our railroads safer and making sure Norfolk Southern meets its responsibilities. Despite those promises, there is another symptom spreading here among those we spoke to, mistrust of those in power. Yeah, they're patronizing us. Yeah. Telling us so. what they think we want to hear. Mm -hmm. Yep, and it's just plain old bull****. And you could put that on TV. <laughs> I hate it. The EPA is promising to hold Norfolk Southern accountable. 10TV's Brian Somerville details the agency's demands. The sense of comfort that comes with living in a community like East Palestine has been shattered. U.S. EPA Administrator Michael Regan says the train derailment aftermath has shifted from emergency response to cleanup, and he has assured the people of East Palestine water and air sample testing will continue. I recognize that no matter how much data we collect or provide, it will not be enough to completely reassure everybody. It may not be enough to restore the sense of safety and security that this community once had. Regan says the responsibility falls with Norfolk Southern to make things right. An order was signed that will require the train company to clean up all contaminated soil and water and safely transport any waste to a safe location. Norfolk also has to reimburse EPA for cleaning services, participate in any and all public meetings, and submit a cleanup plan for EPA approval. If Norfolk Southern fails to do any of these, they face major fines. The agency will immediately step in, conduct the work ourselves, and then force Norfolk Southern to pay triple in cost accordance to the powers granted by my agency. Governor Mike DeWine and Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro calling on Congress to make changes to the railways. There is something fundamentally wrong when a train like this can come into a state and the current law does not require despite what they were hauling, does not require them to notify the state or local officials. DeWine also re-upped on his promise to the people of East Palestine. Help will not stop until the town is once again made whole. We will continue to test. We will continue to do what needs to be done in the weeks and the months uh, and the years uh, as we go forward. Brian Somerville reporting. And now to an update on how the derailment has impacted wildlife. Thousands of dead fish have been pulled from waterways around East Palestine. And Ohio Department of Natural Resources experts say they can't predict when the ecosystem will recover. We're happy to see that live fish have already returned to Leslie Run. That's a great sign. 
Um, the fact that we're not seeing any fish in distress is a great sign, but at this point, we aren't able to put a timeline on that. So far, ODNR officials haven't identified any threat to the Ohio River. The department's teams will be on site in East Palestine every day for the next few weeks. Families with questions about their pets are encouraged to contact their veterinarians. You know, many people are asking what the state can do to prevent another derailment in our state. That question was at the center of a Homeland Security hearing at the State House. 10TV's Lindsay Mills was at that meeting. There are a lot of limitations with preemption at the federal level. John Esterly is the chairman of the Ohio State Legislative Board with the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers, the union that represents many railroad employees. He says regulation can happen on the state level, but there are limitations. There is the caveat that it cannot restrict rail business severely. Asterly is pushing for tighter safety regulations in a transportation budget request. He wants to see two-person crews maintained on freight trains and clear guidance on wayside defect detectors, which detect issues with rail cars. He says there needs to be direction on what happens when they alert the crew to a problem. Asterly says there was a detector in East Palestine and another one 19 miles west. There are 15 active railroads in in Ohio, um, and there are seven that report to us on high hazard. And even though the train that derailed in East Palestine was not considered high hazard, Karen Huey, the assistant director for the Ohio Department of Safety, says there's a need to have a better knowledge of exactly what's being transported and how often. There is an ability for a local EMA manager to understand or director to understand generally what travels through. It's just when the crash occurs or something occurs, it's not so easy for them to determine what was on that train. And the spokesperson for Senate Majority Leader Matt Huffman tells us he's planning committee hearings on the train derailment. We will certainly keep you posted on what happens during those particular hearings and meetings. Still to come this morning on Face the State. The petition to put the issue of abortion access on the ballot is now in the hands of the Ohio Attorney General. It's incredibly harmful. It's also just a really, really scary precedent to set. A controversial bill comes back to the state house. One group says it will keep kids safe, and another says it can only do harm. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back to Face the State. The issue of abortion access is closer to being on the November ballot. The group's Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights and Ohioans for Reproductive Freedom submitted an amendment to the Ohio Attorney General, along with thousands of petition signatures. This is really an important milestone in our effort to ensure that Ohioans have reproductive freedom and that they continue to have access to life-saving medical care, including abortion. As doctors, we know the reason people choose to have an abortion are many and they are nuanced. While the worst of Ohio's abortion bans have been blocked for now, temporarily, we simply cannot rely on our legislators 
or even ultimately on the, our courts to secure this freedom in the long run. We know Ohioans want the freedom to make decisions about what's best for their lives without interference from the government. This ballot measure is going to empower Ohioans to have that freedom and put power where it rightly belongs, in the hands of the people. Ohio Right to Life calls the ballot measure language vague and misleading. They said they are prepared to spread the message to every voter. Anybody who goes to the ballot box and reads what this is going to do is going to reject that. We see that poll after poll, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, a majority of Ohioans do reject that kind of extremism. And so while it's true that there there are many people that are across the spectrum on this issue in our state, a majority, a very large majority are against the extremism that's on this ballot initiative. There's no moderation in this. Ohio Right to Life has been working side by side with multiple pro-life organizations throughout the state and the nation for the past couple of months. We've been preparing specifically for this because we saw that this was coming. And so we are ready. We are prepared to go out there and defeat this with the largest grassroots team that Ohio has seen in our history. And that's what we're prepared to do. You can find the full language of the amendment online right now. Click on this story at 10tv.com. We are failing our children with this experimental gender medicine. That's why it's called the SAFE Act, Saving Adolescents from Experimentation. Legislation that would ban gender-affirming care for minors is back. State Representative Gary Click filed the bill last week after a similar bill failed last session. You may remember that legislation from last session, House Bill 454. As 10TV's Brittany Bailey explains, this new bill is much of the same with some new additions. We're trying to establish the highest standards of care for young people who identify as transgender. That's the point of the bill called Saving Adolescents from Experimentation Act, or the SAFE Act, according to its sponsor, State Rep. Gary Click. Flanked by supporters and signs, he made his case. With me, we have 40 people on this bill who are ready to protect and to defend young people who are experiencing gender identity disorder and keep them from being abused by the medical professionals, so-called. The SAFE Act would, in part, ban doctors from providing gender-affirming care for minors, including surgery, hormone medication, or puberty blockers. Doctors could not, quote, aid and abet that treatment, which Rep. Click said would include referring patients out of state. It would ban mental health professionals from treating minors without parental consent or before screening the patient for other conditions, including depression, autism, or physical or sexual abuse. The bill also would require medical caregivers to report to the state the number of minors treated for gender-related conditions, including their ages, sex, and more. It's incredibly harmful. It's also just a really, really scary precedent to set that a doctor a parent and a child could all agree on the same course of treatment, and a politician says, no, that's actually outlawed. Leading medical organizations agree. The American Medical Association supports access to gender-affirming care, linking it to reduced rates of suicide and depression. And the American Academy of Pediatrics, or AAP, recommends taking a gender-affirming, non-judgmental approach.
The AAP does not represent all. They, they may be an association and they ha may have thousands of members, but they do not represent the view of all of those pediatricians. I've talked to pediatricians who totally oppose this. I've talked to several doctors who totally oppose this. What we are seeing is a lot of interest groups and a lot of people who have political or religious views that conflict with someone else's life and they feel entitled to make big life decisions on behalf of other people. Brittany Bailey reporting on that for us. The Ohio Children's Hospital Association responded to the proposed SAFE Act in part by saying they are opposed to any legislation that inserts government between patients, their families, and medical professionals in decisions about what is best for their care. Ohio Secretary of State is throwing his support behind a new bill that would change the way you get data from your local board of elections. Senator Teresa Gavarone introduced the Data Act. She says it's designed to increase transparency and confidence in our elections. This bill would standardize definitions and processes for data, creates a new position under the Secretary of State for data analytics, and streamlines communication between the Secretary of State's office and each county's board of elections. Secretary of State Frank LaRose says he expects this to earn bipartisan support. When people look behind the curtain, what they're going to see is how well run our elections are. The problem is that the current ambiguity, uh, the current uh, lack of transparency in some ways breeds those conspiracy theories that are often not based in reality, right? Uh, and it causes people to sort of fixate on, on some of these things that, that, that may not actually be where the problem is. To the extent that there are problems with voter fraud, they're generally, you know, in the single digits of somebody uh, casting a, a ballot on behalf of a deceased relative or forging a signature on, on a petition or, or, or whatever. And those are things that we investigate and we catch. But this at-scale idea that thousands or tens of thousands or, 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 or you know, many hundreds of thousands of, of fraudulent votes are occurring, I believe that when you have the transparency that this provides, it would show people that it's not actually the case. And guess what? If it is the case, then there does need to be action. And so, again, you can't be afraid of transparency because it's the, the best uh, disinfectant, right? If there is something systemically wrong with our elections, and I don't believe there is, but this bill would show that. How would this impact the average voter. Well, we took that question to the Ohio Association of Election Officials, which oversees the local boards of elections. Interestingly enough, if you read the bill, the average voter is probably going to be bored silly because it's kind of technical and, uh, dare I say, like geeky election stuff. But at the end of the day, if you're in, an academic uh, and you're doing academic research or if you're just the average voter that wants to go and have a better understanding about our election system, it's really important that you have one place where you can you can go on the Web um, and see data and that the data looks consistent um, from election to election. New research shows there is a need for more black psychologists. Up next, an expert explains why that is critical. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. We are getting a better look at the impact of legalized sports betting in Ohio when it comes to gambling addiction. The Ohio Gambling Conference has happened in Lewis Center. They reveal that in January alone, calls to the problem gambling health line were already three times higher than January of 2022. Staffers at the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio say they anticipated this. 
One of the benefits of the legislation is that we had a year to prep. So that's what we've been doing, and we've been working diligently with uh, prevention professionals and counselors to make sure that when this uh, influx happens that we have people available to help support them. If you think you have a gambling problem, call the National Problem Gambling Helpline, 1-800-522-4700. 1-800-522-4700. If you or someone you love is in need of care from a mental or behavioral health expert in the U.S., race matters. Our state is no exception, and a coalition of partners announced that it has proof. Experts and advocates held a news conference at the State House last week to roll out the second report out of a four-part landmark study titled Behavioral Health in Ohio, Improving Data, Moving Toward Racial and Ethnic Equity. The research comes out of a powerhouse coalition that includes the entities on your screen, Central State University, our state's only public HBCU, the Mental Health and Addiction Advocacy coalition called MAC for short, Multi-Ethnic Advocates for Cultural Competence Incorporated, and Ohio University. Their work shows the behavioral health workforce does not reflect the racial and ethnic diversity of the population. Specifically, 12.5% of Ohioans identify as black, but according to available data from licensing boards, less than 5% of psychologists are black. Joan England, who's the executive director of Mental Health and Addiction Advocacy Coalition told me that the barriers minorities face in trying to access care are different from the barriers other Ohioans face. And it's a concern to all of us. There's a lot of discussion, Tracy, out there about the need for behavioral health services. There's also a lot of discussion out there about the need to increase the behavioral health, for example, workforce. But there hasn't been discussion about the need to increase the diversity of our workforce, to increase the people of color providing services, to increase the people who don't speak, who speak languages beyond English, that can serve non-English speaking Ohioans. That's where this installment on Tuesday hits home. What are the needs? What's the disparity? What are the numbers? We know the, the number of people in Ohio who are of color How many clinicians in Ohio, in each of those fields, social workers, nurses, psychologists, doctors, what do each of those workforces look like? That's what we're going to unveil on Tuesday. And it's so critical. I mean, it matters because I can kind of hear people going, well, why does it matter? And what would you say to a person who asked you that? It does matter. Research proves that it matters, that concordant services If you're getting services from someone that looks and sounds like you, the outcomes are better. And Tracy, I'll tell you this morning, I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, I know so many women, for example, that candidly prefer a female OBGYN. Mm -hmm. Why? She looks like me. She knows what I've been through. I just feel more comfortable. I don't have to explain as much to her. She, as a female OBGYN, just gets part of me, right, Mm -hmm. from the very beginning. The same is true in regard to behavioral health services and minoritized communities. And friends, after this week's headlines and events, I want to remind you that you are not alone in thinking all of this is a lot to process. If you or someone you love needs to talk about anything or if you're having thoughts of hurting yourself, don't. Instead, make this call or send a text to 988. 
We sincerely wish you a great week and remind you to take care of yourself and each other. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Hi, I'm Dom Tiberi. Nine years ago, we lost our daughter Maria to a distracted driving accident. To honor her life, we have pledged to educate young people on the dangers of distracted driving. We funded simulators and visited schools to inspire more than 120,000 young drivers to stay safe. Help spread Maria's message in your school. Contact us at mariasmessage at 10tv.com. And remember, distracted driving is dangerous driving. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Here's the fans, Matt Andrews. We're going to talk Central Ohio. We're going to talk sports. We're going to talk everything about the Buckeyes with the dean of sports on TV, especially former uh, co-host on our flagship as well in the Central Ohio area, the great Dom DeBerry. Great to be with you, Matty. And uh, Dad Gum, I guess you get called the dean when you're as old as I am, huh? Going to be 42 years. On March 30th, uh, that's when I walked in here as an intern, March 30th, 1981. I'm going to test your knowledge. Two major events happened on that day other than me walking in here to Channel 10 as an intern. Uh, One was a major news story, and the other was a major sporting event. Oh, 81. March 30th. I had just turned 22. Were you even born? I was one. Yeah, you were one. <laughs> I had just turned 22. I just just come come back to uh, uh, my senior year of Otterbein, my last semester, and I had just come back from spring break in Daytona Beach, Florida, and I'm sitting in Channel 10 as an intern and watching and, and just, like, looking at all these people that I grew up watching, you know, Joe Holbrook, sure. Lou Forrest, Dave Kaler, uh, Lee Velicities, um Bill Pepper, uh, Joe Holbrook, all these guys that were my heroes. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, uh, the the speakers in the ticker tape, we had ticker tape back in those days, started going off. And then there was a speaker, and they said, this is CBS News in New York. We are breaking into live coverage. There has been an attempt on President President Reagan's life. And then we found out that he had been actually shot. And then that night was the NCAA basketball championship game. It was Monday, and they almost didn't play the game, but they played the game that night, and it was the Indiana Hoosiers taking on North Carolina, and uh, Knight beat Dean Smith that night. So that was my first day in the business. And it's all been uphill since, right? Oh, my goodness. I'll tell you what. uh, Don't ever tell anyone. I mean, this has been a labor of love. I mean, I'm like you. We would do this for free, wouldn't you? Well, I, I would until your phone rang, but we're fine with that. We'll I'm keep sorry. It was, it's okay. Uh, it's all it, right. It was my wife, Terry <laughs> Tiberi, checking in on me. Let me ask you, okay, over that time, you've watched four decades now of Buckeye sports. Yeah. Buckeye football. You host the coaches' shows. Yeah. Buckeye football, Buckeye basketball. Let's start with football. I can ask you the big, broad question, but 
what people want to know is where is this program headed with all the changes going on right now in college athletics? Well, I think it's the unknown, yeah. and I think it's going to be the haves and the have-nots. And I think Ohio State is definitely a have. They've always been a have. But in this new world order we're seeing, um, Ohio State, I think, is going to do well. Uh, I think that they will be slow to adapt to what's going on. I think you see some teams around the country that have jumped in, and um, they are going to skirt what rules there are, if there are any. And uh, I think Ohio State's always going to take the high road. You, you and I both, I think, can agree on that. Sure. But I, I don't know where this ends up. Uh, I, I am concerned where it could end up. I think it's, uh, it's going to make the coaches go crazy because at the end of the day, you're going to recruit these kids to come to your school and then once they're in there, you got to re-recruit them to keep them there because, you know, with this transfer portal, with the NIL, and with everything that's uh, going on, it's it's definitely the Wild West. I think it's amazing what, uh, you know, it started with, uh, uh, I, I you know, I, I think a guy that does not get the, you know, first of all, I'm a huge Earl Bruce fan. I mean, what he was able to do here. I think John Cooper modernized Ohio State football, and you know you, you look at what he did, and then you, you see what Tress did, and then and then Urban carried it on, and now what Ryan is doing—it's absolutely amazing the way Ohio State now recruits, cherry picks the country, gets the best players there are. If you're a receiver, wh- why would you go anywhere other than Ohio State? What Brian Hartline's been able to do in developing that receiver room—it's absolutely amazing. If you want to play in the National Football League, Ohio State looks to be the place you want to go because, you know, it, the, the, the one thing I will say, you think about this model, and the NFL, no wonder they don't want anything changed. Most professional sports have a farm system. But in the case of the National Football League, they allow these colleges to go out and, and recruit these high school players, make them household names, because we all know college football is as big as it is, you know, that, you know, these kids are household names. And after three years, the NFL comes and takes their best players and they don't have anything uh, invested in that farm system. And so it's, it's, you know, but Ohio state, uh, I I think is going to lead the way, but it's for coaches, for Ryan day and for who, uh, you know, with what the way the, the landscape is now, it's ever changing, and uh, it it's gonna make make some of these guys get gray hairs and everything. Because honest to goodness, you know you 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 know as well as I do, you recruit them once to get them in here, then you got to re-recruit right. them to keep them here. That's right. Dom Tavari, Ten TV, Channel Ten in Columbus, CBS affiliate, forty-two years as the sports anchor and now the dean of sports anchors in the state in the uh, the Central Ohio area here in Columbus. Before we get to Maria's message, I want to talk as well about what we saw first of the year with gambling coming here legal to the state. Wow. I'll what, tell you, what's I'll changed? T- How's it changed what you do? Well. Or has it? I don't know that it's changed what I do. I still report. And, you know, uh, to me, the greatest gig is is being able to be around the programs. You, you love it. I love yep. it. Uh, I, I don't want to say it, but we probably would have done this for free because we enjoy it. Uh, so much. And it is a labor of love. I mean, who would not want to be able to host the, 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 the Ryan Day show or the Chris Holtman show or the, or the Kevin McGuff show? 
I mean, those are they're, they're high quality people, and it's fun to be around the program. And so, yeah, I enjoy the heck out of that. The gambling, though, um, it, it's it, it's adding to everything. The NIL and all this stuff. It's uh, it's these. This is the wild west right now, and the genie is out of the bottle, and the genie's not going back in anytime soon. And these conversations beyond the coaches that you have with administrators and and kind of how they keep their hands, not only at Ohio State, I'm talking other places, but how they keep their hands on what's happening and how you try to, I guess, funnel it to the proper steps. Well, that's why I like being around Ohio State. Gene yeah. Smith yeah. is in, you know, I think the world of Gene Smith, and I, and I think he's the best uh, director of athletics in the country, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Because, you know, A, you know, he's 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 cares about his coaches. He cares about his players. And, you know, he puts those people first. The other thing that I think he does well is he understands. He, he's not trying to hide anything. He said there's going to be a learning curve with this. And, you know, we're, we're learning kind of on the job. And there will be changes coming down the road. And it is the Wild West right now because we are learning. But – I think uh, you know we're going to see some some normalcy perhaps uh, in the next uh, year or so because I think adding the twelve teams to the playoffs and and, and you know football is is the big uh, the big grind. I mean you know that's the thing that kind of makes the the whole thing go, especially at Ohio State. Football yep. pays for everybody else, uh, and then, and then there's basketball, but but football is king in this country. And I think that uh, I think adding these teams and having a 12-team playoff, I think that's the smart move. I think that that's what the public wants, and you know it's going to generate more money. It's going to generate more interest, and you know it, that's that's where it is. I mean, in this country, football is 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 what people really care about. And a younger Dom Tiberi, I'm sure, would scratch his head when he realizes 40 years later you got UCLA and USC entering this league. How about that? I mean, is that is that crazy? And I mean, but yes. that's what I mean. Yes. But don't even get used to that. I think in the next five six years you're going to see realignments. I think there is going to be a super conference of sorts. Gene Smith talked about it. I don't know if it's a, if it's 120 teams or or whatever, but I think there is a super conference coming sooner than later. Dom DeBerry, 10 TV is our guest, Channel 10 in Columbus, CBS affiliate. 42 years he's been on the desk here in Columbus. And Dom, we want to finish our portion of our interview with you by talking about Maria's message, your late daughter Maria DeBerry, and you have been so influential statewide with this program and, and distracted uh, kids driving, distracted driving regardless of how old you are. And, and now Ohio's lawmakers have acted. You've been instrumental in this. Just speak from your heart for the next few minutes, if you don't mind. Well, yeah, it, uh, you know, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. And, you know, I did not choose this. My wife, Terry, did not choose this. It chose us. And, you know, when something like this happens, you know, I would not wish losing a child on anyone and for anyone that's out there listening that has lost a child and I don't care how you lose your child it's uh, there's a void a piece of you die and we would do anything to have Maria back but there's no fix in this and I think that's the most frustrating thing for me I'm a type a personality and you fix things well there's no safety net with death there's no do-overs and I tell the kids you know we've uh, shared Maria's message with uh, over 150 presentations now. 
and uh, uh, pushing uh, 150,000 kids. Um, and so, you know, the message is this, and I tell them first thing and m- most important thing that I tell them, and if you don't listen to anything I tell you, always remember that your life matters, you are loved, and people care about you. And I tell them the second reason I'm there it's because I couldn't bring her home. I had to leave her, and I don't want that for any of you guys. And, you know, uh, in in today's world, distracted driving, in, in my mind, it, it's an epidemic. Uh, it uh, causes the majority of the crashes. You know, it's the most underreported thing. And I applaud Governor DeWine for getting behind the legislation, we are going to be a hands-free state. It's going to be coming into law soon. It was passed. I congratulate the legislature for doing this. Every state that has enacted this, and look, I'm not a law guy and whatever. I just know this much. Every state that has enacted this type of law, we have seen a 30 to 35% decrease in crashes and deaths. And at the end of the day, I don't want to see any other families lose a family member, a child, a parent, a grandparent. We need to end this madness. My wife and I also started the Maria Tiberi Foundation. And I think that, you know, we can't write our way out of this with tickets. We need to do a better job of educating our children. Parents need to do a better job of spending time with their kids and educating their children. But we uh, we have started the Maria Tiberi Foundation, and our main mission is buying driving simulators. To date, we place 48 of them primarily around the state of Ohio with police departments all over the state. They run $15,000 apiece. And now recently, and what we're going to do is we have opened three simulator labs, primarily in central Ohio right now, but we want to expand. We have one in uh, Madison County with uh, – Tolls Career Technical Center. We have one in Groveport with the Eastland Fairfield Career Center. And then we just opened one with Fort Hayes, part of Columbus City Schools. Each simulator school or lab feature 25 state-of-the-art simulators. So that's 75 simulators here in central Ohio, 16 different lesson plans. Takes the kids about six and a half, seven hours to complete the training. But we believe that it will help to create better drivers, especially for kids that can't afford to take driver's ed. In the state of Ohio, Matt, you can wait till you're 18 years of age to go get your driver's license. And so for some of these kids, the only training they're getting is what they're spending on our simulators. And so I think it's crucial, it's important, and and I think we all need to do a better job. Moms and dads out there, we need to set a better example for our children. We need to hold our children accountable and, you know, I had dreams to see Maria get married. I wanted to see her graduated. I wanted to see her make me a grandpa. And instead, we had to pick out a casket in in a mausoleum. And, you know, if I want to go and see her, I have to go to the cemetery. And I know she's not there. She's in a better place. And, you know, your goal as a parent to get your child into heaven, mission accomplished. But I wasn't ready to let her go. My wife wasn't ready to let her to go. And we are losing our youngest and our brightest on our highways. And we need to end this madness. Your message is inspirational. We appreciate it. We appreciate you. And maybe another, uh, I would say, 42 years. 42? That's impossible. Yeah, why not? I, at least another 25, happen. right? I could go another 42. How old would I be? That's up to you to decide. In dog years, I'm only, what, uh, 20? 
Thanks, Tommy. See you, buddy. The great Dom DeVere. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.